everyone, it's me, it's Joanna. I am the author of Dealer's Child and The Unraveling, and it's a week away from NaNoWriMo. And I am doing research and plotting while I'm walking the dogs because I, th- I am going to write first hundred pages, that's my goal, during the month of November of book four in my series. So I'm pretty, pretty stoked. NaNoWriMo, a week away, just rubbing my hands together here. So today's guest is an award-winning author, J.P. Joanne, great name, McLean. J.P. is a best-selling author of urban fantasy and supernatural thrillers that readers call addictive, smart, and fun. And I agree with them. 100%. She is a 2021 finalist for the Chanticleer Paranormal Award for Supernatural Fiction and the Wishing Shelf Book Award for Adult Fiction. Her work has won a Reader's Favorite Award, a Gold Literary Titan Medal, that sounds so cool, and, and Honorable Mentions from the Whistler Independent Book Awards and the Victoria Writers' Society. JP is a graduate of the University of British Columbia, Sauter School of Business. She makes her home on the coast of BC. JP, JP, from my island to your island, hello. (laughs) Hello, and thank you for having me on. It's so fun to have another Joanne. Or Joanna in your yeah. case. Well, so I get Joanna too. There's an E on the end of my name, and a lot of people think that that's an A. Yeah, and I get the reverse, right? Yeah. yeah. So before we start, I have been asked, and I saw on your website that you were at the Island Book Festival, actually the Big Island Book Festival. How was that? Because I'm I'm thinking about it, and I would love for us to have something big like that on the island? Well, the organizer, JP Daly, did an amazing job of organizing this festival. This was the first year for it. So for someone coming out of the gate, um, she did a fantastic job. One of the highlights for me was on the evening prior to the event, and the event was all day. It was okay. from 10 to 5 on the Saturday. Um, and But the night before, they put on a meet and greet event, uh, which was wine please and uh, you could bring guests and it was so nice they they set up uh not i wouldn't say games but um little things to get you to mingle like they they put um they took famous book covers and cut them in half 
and put each half in a different envelope. And when you came in, you got an envelope. So at halfway through, you had to find the person who had the other half of your book cover and oh, wow. introduce yourself. So it was an opportunity to meet some other uh, local authors and uh, get to talk to them a little bit about what they were writing and how they were marketing it. And um, the food was fantastic. The people from the winery, it was 40 Knots Winery. They did a <sighs> tremendous job. And JP, and, and I don't even think she knows what a great job she did because she's very humble. But she ended up getting sponsors for a huge amount of, I'm sure not all of it, you know, we did pay for tables, but it wasn't very much. Yeah. But um, the food, you know, meat platters, cheese platters, dessert platters, gluten-free platters, the wine, uh, uh, non-alcoholic drinks if you wanted them. We could tour the museum, just take our time, because it was held at the Coma, the museum in Courtney. Oh. So we could tour the museum. Uh, it, it was just, I can't say enough. And then the festival itself had a couple of things that I don't see regularly at festivals. Yeah. Uh, one was a reading room, and they scheduled uh, anyone who wanted to read. They scheduled them to be in the reading room. You got introduced by a, a fellow who did a professional job of introducing you, and then you got to read whatever you wanted pretty much yeah. uh, from, from your books, at, you know, limited to a time, of course, so, yeah. you know, depending on what you had, 10, 10 or 15 minutes. Uh, some, some only read for five minutes. And then the other thing that they did was they had music playing the whole time. So <gasps> they brought in uh, musicians. Yeah. They, there was a harpist uh, who is uh, JP's daughter. Oh, and wow. So, yeah, so there's a harpist and uh, 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 pianists and uh, a quartet of violin players, uh, a guitar uh, folk type uh, singer. It, it was just all day fun things. Yeah. And they also had someone coming around to warn you when you were going to be doing your reading and would watch your table while you were in doing your reading. Oh, wow. I mean, the attention to detail was yeah. out of this world. So kudos, kudos, kudos to, to her and another woman, Kura, who helped her or okay. Kara, I think her name is pronounced. Um, they were just the most lovely people. And I, I had the privilege of, of having my table right next to JP. So Aww. I saw how busy she was. Well, the other thing they did, I guess, because we're so close to Halloween, yeah. is she invited the authors to dress up if they wanted to. So okay. they didn't have to, but a number yeah. of people dressed up and that made it lots of fun for the uh, customers who were coming in to see uh, the books. But really fun about the, the meet and greet was meeting all these authors and then because um, you you meet them in their street clothes and yeah. and just chit chatting, and then the next day when you see the booths that they set up and the types of books and you see the covers and such, it's it's like another side of their personality that you see. So I I really enjoyed it. I had a great time. Well, I really hope they do it again because yeah, just the thought of doing something on the island where you're not having to get on a ferry, and then the traffic. To let's say go into Vancouver, okay, like that tra driving in Vancouver, I I just won't even do it. I'll I'll take SkyTrain, bus, you name it, right? Yeah, so, me too. Okay, me too. okay. Those days are done for me. I used to <laughs> do it nice. <laughs> Not anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And COVID okay. only solidified how easy it is to do so much of what we do through channels like this, through Zoom yeah. and such. So yeah. I agree. Okay, good, good to know. Now you grew up. It's always neat finding out about authors. You grew up in Toronto, and for four months, 
when I was in grade three, we lived in St. Catharines. And I remember being a kid, being in the backseat of my parents' car and driving into Toronto and trying to look out the window and not being able to see the tops of the buildings. And I remember thinking, then we're in the big city. Like, this is cool, right? So what's a favorite, before we get into your novels, just what is a favorite memory of Toronto? Well, you actually um, reminded me of something that I hadn't thought about in years. And that was driving in the backseat of my grandmother's Volkswagen Beetle. We were on the Gardner Expressway, which is the elevated highway that runs along the lakeshore in the downtown area of Toronto. And they were just building the, the CN Tower. And it was a giant hole in the ground. It was an unimaginable size hole in the ground. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. There's yeah. no one outside there, buddy. It's all good. The trucks went by. Sorry, JP. Would, would, would it feel better if I said it was just a little hole? <laughs> anyway, I, re- I remember um, thinking about you, you know, well, your your backseat Toronto skyscraper wow. reminded me of that. And then I remember how how proud I was for a time because I was just a kid to live in the city that had the tallest freestanding structure in the world. It was kind of fun. It was yeah. fun to have that little bit of uh, fame attached to your city for a for a time being. It didn't. I think it got replaced within a couple of years with something taller. But anyway, it was fun. Well, the pride. The pride. This is where I live, right? Yeah. And and funny, I, I never went up into the tower until about three years ago. It was just before COVID and I was home visiting um, my older sister and um, she lives in Toronto. Yeah. And uh, she lives very close to the CN Tower and she'd never been up it either. So we challenged ourselves to go up in the CN Tower. And the funniest part about that is she's afraid of heights. So she spent the whole time with her back to the, the center of the building and kind of like not wanting to look out. And I just I had such fun teasing her, but it was fun to go up in the tower after all these years and actually see it from the inside. Yeah, we've, we went up. I remember we went up, my sisters and I and my mom. Yeah, it was cool. Okay, okay, your books. We have similarities, and I have to briefly mention, my sister is an author, and she's in Alberta, and I was reading her book to do a book review, And you could imagine my surprise when I'm reading her book and I read, I'm not going to give it away, but let's just say lemon meringue pie is involved in this scene. And I was just reading it and I thought, oh my God, because I have scenes at Dot's Cafe where a character orders mile high lemon meringue pie. And I'm texting her and I've said, Susan, right? we've both done this. And she laughed and she, she just said, wow, it really lemon meringue pie must've really made an impression on us. Right. <laughs> so with your book, my heroine Jade and her sister, they both ride motorcycles. Your heroine Jane rides a motorcycles And for me, having my heroines ride bikes, it's like, it's freedom, it's independence, it's strength. So why does Jane, your heroine, like to ride bikes? Freedom is exactly the right word. Um, But for Jane, it's a different kind of freedom because Jane is, uh, was born with a blood mark or 
well, she figures out their blood marks, but at the time when she's growing up, she thinks they're birthmarks and they strap around her body and her face wasn't spared. So she has these marks on her face that have made her the subject of pointed fingers and, and guffaws and laughs and ostracized as a child. And so when she's uh, fairly young, for the first time, she puts a helmet on with the face visor. Yeah. And for the very first time, she is able to hold her head up and fit in. Nobody looks at her twice when she's got a helmet on. So for her, it's the helmet that yeah. gives her the freedom. And also when you're more, more riding a motorcycle, you're typically in leathers, yeah. you know, in case you tumble. So she's completely covered up and she doesn't look strange. And yeah. so that's why for her riding the motorcycle is uh, freedom. It's a, it's a, it takes her away from all that. She, she can shed all of that uh, nastiness that she's grown up with and, and come to hate. That's beautiful. I love that. Mm. I love that. Now, Ghost Mark, it is your newest novel, mm -hmm. and it's in your Dark Dream Supernatural series. It's being released November. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about Ghost Mark and your heroine, Jane Walker? Oh, I'd love to. I'd yeah. Love to. Um, Ghost Mark continues where Blood Mark left off. So at the end of Blood Mark, Jane has come to learn that her marks protected her from a murderer, and she's also coming to understand that she has inherited something that allows her to see into the past. And though it took a bit of convincing, uh, it was in the end a Peruvian scholar who uh, was able to demonstrate to her that these marks um, are what were protecting her and identified her further as something in the Peruvian culture that is called una testigo, which is witness. And so her uh, her role as a witness is to uh, observe events that happened and seek retribution for those wow. individuals who were wronged. And so in Bloodmark, uh, Jane inadvertently changes the past in one of these events where she's dreaming of the past. She's actually in the past and she doesn't know this and she accidentally changed. She thinks she's doing it for the, all the best reasons, but yeah. she she has a, a horrible um, outcome from having done that. Uh, so in this new book, and that's not resolved. Like I, I don't like, I don't like everything coming out nice in the end. Yeah. I don't think that's life. So no. in this book, she's having to live with that mistake that she made, which is eaten away at her because it's affected so many people around her. But um, her dreams start up again, the dreams of the past where she finds herself going into the past. But in this new book, um, this time around, the subject of the dreams is her new lover, Ethan, who she hooked up with in the last book. And she starts to witness this cutthroat gang infiltrating the bar where Ethan works. And one of the gang members is someone Jane knows. And she's devastated by this because she thought she knew him and she's horrified to realize that she had a hand in turning him into this criminal that he has become. And so as the dreams continue, Jane witnesses the gang's atrocities getting worse and worse. And she comes to realize that Ethan is in danger and they have him in their crosshairs. And she gets a chance to undo the mistake she made in book one. Oh, nice. Nice. But I'm just, oh, I'm thinking of she? all the conflict in there. Excellent. Oh. Yeah. But for her, it is, 
she has to decide if changing history to save Ethan is worth the potential risk of compounding the mistake she made in the first book. Wow. So wow. that's the, the core of the book. So I, I wrote Jane uh, to be very different from the character that uh, took the first series, the Gift Legacy series. That was a, a much softer character, Emily. I wanted Jane to be a lot different. So Jane is inner city she's tough she fights with a knife she is uh she grew up in the system she uh is not easily cowed she doesn't run away from a fight she'll stand up to anybody and she has a fiercely loyal relationship with her bff who is sadie yeah who has (laughs) who has some quirks she is a hooker yeah. <laughs> in her spare time. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, Jane's a lot of fun. I really enjoy her character. I like Sadie's character. I like uh, I like how different this series is. It's a really nice switch from the other series that I that I wrote. Well, just as you're talking, you said she's grown up in the system. And as soon as you said that, having worked in the prosecutor's office, I knew exactly. I, I could picture it. I could picture it. I just could. Pi- wow. Okay. God, that's cool. that's so cool. That's so cool. Well, it's okay. Your your prosecutor experience is interesting because I have been doing research on the legal end of things for this book, and uh, I was interviewing um, uh, a woman who was a, a prosecutor yeah. and a crown prosecutor or crown counsel. She yeah, it. that's it. That's my old stomping ground. Yeah, sorry. I keep interrupting you. No, no, no but she said to me, because, um, you know, she said when interviewing, I was thinking, well, Jane at one point is going to have to, because there's going to be a court case come out of this, she's yeah. going to have to be interviewed. And, of course, she cannot say, well, I, I, I dream of the past and I'm actually in the past. And so um, the prosecutor, she did not even tell the prosecutor this. And she yeah. says, well, you know, you know, what if, I, I can't say everything or what if this is, she says, no, no, you must. Yeah. You must. And this is her in real life. No, no, there is no if, ands or buts here. You absolutely must tell me everything, the complete truth. Oh, and, and she's of course <laughs> thinking, there's no way in heck I can yeah. do this. I can't possibly tell this, this woman the whole truth. So it's really interesting that, um, that that is the case. And yeah. And it, yeah. So well, I, I I'm just thinking if she came out with, you know, I live in the past or I dreamt this, she would no longer be a reliable witness. I'm thinking mm-hmm. like from the crown, she mm-hmm. would not be a reliable witness. Yeah. You know? And that's wow. a big problem for her, yeah. a really big problem for her. So she's got to hide this convincingly because the crown prosecutor, I said, oh, she's, she's something about she's a grown up in the system and she's really tough. And the prosecutor said to me, yeah, everyone that comes through here is tough. Yeah. I've met their type before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that, gosh, that's cool. That is really cool. Aha, uh-huh. I love it. I love it. It's just because I know I started writing my series because I was tired of seeing uh, books that I like legal thrillers, but it was American law. And I'm like, mm-hmm. and what I found myself doing was saying, you can't do that here. That's not what we have up here, right? So it's like, okay, well, then you write it, right? What we've, you know, cool. Okay, yeah. so you're writing. I was on your website 
and the first book in this series, Bloodmark. You say it had been percolating for years. So I am curious, just listening to your answers now, what was the inspiration for this novel or even for this series? Well, the, 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 the series was actually had a very specific uh, kernel of inspiration. Yeah. And that was, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but there was a, an NBC series uh, a couple years ago, several years ago now, called Blind Spot. It sounds and familiar, yeah. It uh, starred Jamie Alexander. And the opening scene of that first episode of the series was a um, nighttime scene in Times Square. It had been cleared of people. There was a duffel bag in the middle of the square and a bomb tech, you know, in that big bomb suit approaching the bag. And as he kneels down in front of it and he's checking it for radiation and such, that he sees the zipper slowly start to unzip from the inside and out emerges Jamie Alexander. And she is absolutely covered in tattoos from the neck down, completely covered. And she doesn't know who she is or how she got the marks, or why she has them. She knows nothing. She, her memory's been completely wiped. And that stuck with me. Yeah. That is such a powerful opening scene. And I thought to myself, how must it be to live with those marks that aren't of your choosing? Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's the initiation. That's the, where it started. And then, so that's been sitting in the back of my head. And it's funny how you see little, little things like the motorcycle and the helmet and all that stuff. Cause I was thinking, well, you tried to cover it, right? You, yeah. you know, but um, that, that was the start of it. And that's where it developed from there. Cool. All right. All right. You're writing. Like I said, you're writing. If you would like to read the paragraph or I could read this paragraph from Bloodmark, it is just excellent writing. Do you, what, what do you prefer? Oh, I want to hear you. I want to hear you read it. Yeah. I read it several times. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. So here we go. How, this is Jane, okay, just so our readers know, I'm just kind of, I just wanted to drop this dialogue in because it is so powerful. Now, they're in a, in a bar, they're in this bar, and her BFF, Sadie, is dancing with this guy, this guy, ugh, I'm not even going to say anything more. So, Jane says, how, I, how about I bring her back tomorrow, Jane said when she's not wasted. Sadie stumbled as Jockstrap twisted to put himself between the two women. I've made an invest investment here. Charming, Jane thought, recoiling from his stale beer spittle. She was quick in a fight and had the advantage of being sober, but Jockstrap had a hundred pounds on her and a hard-on with the destination. Bam! <laughs> Bam. Oh. And there's more, there's more. She knew Ethan wouldn't tolerate her pulling a knife in Riptide, so she'd have to dissuade Jockstrap some other way. She looked to the floor. For Sadie, she'd expose her marks. Only for Sadie. An eyeful of ugly often gave her a split-second advantage. He was already wobbling. Shouldn't be too hard to knock him on his ass. She shifted the grip on her helmet. I love that. Thank you. You did that really well. Uh, it was actually interesting to hear because you put the emphasis exactly where I would have put them. Okay. The it's, it's easy. It's 
it's the writing, the feelings you get, the scene. I can picture like this old wooden bar, the music. Talk to me about it. How did it come together? Um, just, yeah, that's well, that's excellent writing. It's, it, thank yeah. you. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Um, that, I'm so glad you chose that soon, cause, scene because that's one of my favorite scenes in the book. And it's an opening scene in yeah. the book. It's from the first chapter. And you know how important first chapters are. You really have to grab a reader and make them want to turn the page. So I, um, and this was not the original first scene in the book. I, I tend to write chronological and then I have to find the most powerful scene and pop that one in. So um, so that's what I did in, in this particular case. I'm trying trying to remember whether that was my decision or an editor. It might it might have been an editor's decision. It's hard to remember because it goes through so many stages. But um, that scene, I wanted I wanted the reader to immediately be immersed in Jane's world. So I wanted them to see gritty and to see that she was not afraid and that she was so loyal to her drunken friend that she would go and expose her marks to get her out of there and get her home because they're roommates. And um, I also wanted to get the, the reader, uh, give the reader a sense that Jane is acutely aware that people react with revulsion when they yeah. see the marks on her face, because that is such a big theme in the book. And I also wanted her, the readers to know that even though she knows that, uh, people are re repulsed by those marks. It doesn't crush her. You know, she works around it. She she learns to use it to her advantage. So I, I think that shows that, uh, you know, a really uh, strong point of her personality, which uh, is the whole point of Jane. She's a strong, strong woman, even though she doesn't think so at times. Um, that scene was just to me, it was a puzzle. That, it was a puzzle piece that as soon as I put it at the front of the story, it just clicked. Like, yeah. Okay. Now we're set up. We're yeah. set up to go from here. The story can take off. Yeah. Cool. Well, I know with the one I'm working on now, I have moved just a heads up. The recycling people are driving by. We, we may get interrupted. I'm keeping an eye on the 10-year-old. <laughs> but the book I'm working on now, I remember I was, it's interesting. You said you write chronologically. So I wrote these scenes. And then after, as I'm doing rewrites, it's, it's, I picked one, the scene from here and I put it there and I'm doing rewrites. Then I took another scene further on and put it there. I don't think I have a scene or a chapter that is in it still in its original place. <laughs> right? And I, that's this book, other books. I haven't had so much like picking and moving scenes around as I have in this, in this book. And I, and I, I don't know why maybe, maybe I'm just trying to be more aware of, of where the action is. Has that happened to you? In this book, it's happened a lot um, yeah. in this series. Um, in the first series, it didn't happen as much. Um, it, it did with the very first book in the series, because that was my first book and it took a lot to write that book. But I found I changed from the first series. It was first person perspective of one person. It was Emmeline Taylor's thoughts through the whole series. In this series, I decided to switch things up 
as I wanted to grow and learn as an author. So I switched to third person and I used three different characters' perspectives. So Jane has her perspective, Sadie has hers, and then the villain in the first book has his. In, okay. in the second book, um, the villain is, doesn't have a voice any longer, but I gave Ethan a voice. So each of the books have three characters and weaving those stories together is the challenge for me. So when I'm writing the outline and I do do outline and um, not extensive, but certainly enough to mesh the three stories, three things are happening at once. So Sadie has a story, Jane has a story and um, in the first book, Rick, and then this one, Ethan. And so in order to get those stories to mesh, the events have to happen in an order through the book. So yes, I was constantly moving things around to get the story to make sense. And if there's one comment I get a lot on the reviews, it's that people mention that there are some really short chapters. Mm -hmm. And there are some short chapters, really short, like one or two paragraphs. And the reason for that is because I've made it so that each character's perspective is a different chapter. But if I had to put a thought or an action in front of something, I had to split a big chapter up and just put it there or it wouldn't have made sense to read the story. So it may be a bit jarring for people to see those short paragraphs, but it also has the effect of moving it along quickly when you have short chapters. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Moving. Because I know, okay. Um, with mine, I started in, uh, I should know this, third person limited so it's the it's the i just i just about gave away who the bad guy was <laughs> i just about said so i'm not going to even go down that road because i'm going to give it away but i do do different points of view <laughs> but um i i do have like different parts and then my third part I'm back in my heroine's point of view. But, you know, I've been taking structural editing because I want to get my editing certificate. And that is one of the things they say. If you're changing points of view, you either need a break or a new chapter or so you don't get that head hopping. And mm -hmm. so I get it. I totally get it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to stick with the program. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you mentioned series, you mentioned two different series. And I was wondering, if you have one series that you favor over the other, or is it more that you're just not done with these characters yet? It's really hard to pick one over the other. I got to say, really, really difficult. And there, there are similarities between them, and there are differences. And, and I am not done with any of the characters. Sweet. I mean, the, the first series is um, effectively finished. You know, yeah. it, it came to a conclusion. But there's there are other characters to explore in that series that if I wanted to go back and write another, even a novella, I could. Uh, I could also continue it on or do like a Christmas uh, take on it or something like that. So that, that, that series, I think, will always be near and dear to my heart because it was the first one. And it was so empowering when I was writing it. It was like living vicariously through um, these characters who could fly and had magic and, you know, could you know, stare at somebody and burn a hole through them, that kind of thing. It's very <laughs> empowering. I love that. This new one is much different. It's uh, the, the magic is subtler. So it's like a little bit of time slip. 
and uh, ghost because sometimes she's visible in her dreams and sometimes she isn't. So sometimes people can see her and that adds an element of danger and, and mystery and intrigue. So I can't pick one or the other. I'm not done with any of the characters and I definitely, I'm already writing the third in this um, dark dream series. So I know there's a, at least a third there, there could be unlimited I made the mistake of the when I did the first series. It was uh, I started off. I thought it was writing a one-off book, so it yeah. was just it, it wasn't even the gift legacy at that time. It was titled Awakening. It was just Awakening, and then uh, I when I finished that book, I just knew there was more that Emily wanted to do and say because I mean she could fly for crying out loud. <laughs> so I I started writing the second book, and while I was writing the second book, I knew right then there were three. So I branded it a trilogy. Okay. And at that, that point, the gift legacy or the gift trilogy, it was called. Yeah. But as I was writing that second or third book, I realized, uh oh, no, uh -uh. there's at least four in this yeah. series. So that blew the trilogy out of the water. And then I had to rebrand the series. So I rebranded it as the gift legacy. And at that point, I pulled it from the company who was doing it for me and put it out myself. And I retitled everything and new covers and re-edited everything and put it out as the gift legacy under the current titles that it's got. And it ended up being six books nice. plus a seventh, which is a companion book, which is the first book rewritten from Emmeline's lover's perspective, which was fun. Oh, neat. And then, um, so, so when it came to this series, I did not call it a trilogy <laughs> <laughs> or anything of the such. It's just, a series yeah yeah <laughs> and there'll be as many books as there will be in it but there will be three for sure when it's when I get this next one written so that kind of ties in with my my thought of characters that take you in a different direction so like you know you you mentioned how you do an outline so I'm thinking characters if you do an outline have like have, coming across characters that, like the one I'm working on now this guy didn't die. <laughs> I was sure he was going to die. And nope, <laughs> he's alive and kicking. <laughs> right. So have you, have you, have you oh, found yes. that? Yeah. I, I found like, I can think of three times. The first was with the main character herself. She turned out to be so much tougher in the, in the first series. Yeah. She turned out to be so much tougher physically, more physically fit than I imagined her. Yeah. And so I had to go back and um, put scenes in, that would support her being physically fit. Gotcha. So I turned her into a, I think I turned her into a runner or jogger. Yeah, a runner. And I also had her uh, working out, whereas initially no. And then the other character in that series was probably after the third book. I had written a character in, um, and I made the character unappealing in so many different ways, you know, stringy hair, tall, uh, gang not not tall gangly stringy hair shifty eyes i remember thinking oh this guy's just ugh. and then it turned out that um he turns into her lover at one point wow. <laughs> and so i had to i didn't backtrack because i couldn't it yeah. was in a previous book but i you know sometimes when you see somebody for the first or second time and then you get a new impression of them so i made it more like she had a different impression of him like that it was a it was an attraction that she didn't see at first that that kind of grew on her and then in this current series 
I was really surprised by Sadie. Sadie surprised me. Yeah. I loved writing her so much so that um, I worried that she was going to outshine Jane. Yeah. And um, and I I realized that as I was writing it, it it occurred to me that having Sadie be strong and interesting doesn't outshine Jane. It complements Jane. And I was able to play them off against one another because Jane is straight laced. She's neat and tidy. Sadie is, you know, she picks crusty spots off the shirt just before she goes to work and, you know, you know, refreshes her makeup that she slept in overnight. And so I I played those two elements off against one another. And I think it made the story stronger in the end. But I really was worried as I was getting to love Sadie that I was um, she was she was going in this direction that was just super interesting. And I love all the weirdness about her. So that was the third one that I can think of. I'm sure there were others, but both three stand out. I'm I'm dealing with that now with one character who it's like wow this this character is strong and uh but there's I have this scene in the car they're on the ferry my heroine and this other character and just as I'm working on it I'm thinking okay this strong character can bring out the strength of my heroine right and and that's been fun that's been their their dialogue back and forth, you know? So, okay. Now I learned a tip from you. I was listening to a podcast interview you did on read and write podcast and all authors, writers, we try to touch on the five senses. If this, you know, if the scene record, you know, if it's believable in the scene and, um, this next book, it's going to take place in The Hague. And I'm, make, I'm, doing my, I'm doing my stuff. I'm doing my research. I'm doing my contacts. But when I was listening to this podcast interview, you said that you Googled, was it the smell and sense of New Orleans? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Something so, I thought, I heard that and I thought, something so simple, but it makes so much sense. So talk to me about this because I have never, it may... One day I would love to go to The Hague, um, but I'm not going to put off writing this book until I can get there, right? So talk to, talk to me about this. That, that was my exact thought when I was writing. This, this. The book in particular that that was about was Lover Betrayed, which is the book that tells the lover's perspective of Secret Sky. Okay. And um, where Secret Sky takes place in the Pacific Northwest in Vancouver, particularly, um, he's from New Orleans. And um, I didn't realize when I wrote the the book, I knew he was going to be from New Orleans because I had read about uh, boats being shipped, big yachts being shipped. And it it fascinated me. So I decided he was going to ship his yacht. So that's how that started in New Orleans. Anyway, um, I'd never been. Uh, A girlfriend had recently been, but I had never been. And like you, I wasn't going to wait until I went to write the book. So um, I just did exactly what I said. I Googled scents and uh, uh, smells and sounds or smells and scents of New Orleans and up pops an an amazing list of things that you can um, even recordings that you can listen to on YouTube or on SoundCloud like it's it's a wealth of information about that. The other thing that I do quite regularly is if 
uh, if they're going to be in a section of town that I am unfamiliar with, and this happened in that book as well, yeah. I'll go and look at the traffic cams. You can you can look at traffic cams, and it will give you a sense of what the area looks like because it's not it's not just the highway they show. You can see what's kind of on the outskirts of the the lens, and you can see is it hilly, is it flat? Can you see the water in the distance? Uh, you get a lot of information from those traffic cams. So that's brilliant. I'm I'm I scribbled that down. All right, that's great to know. Well. With The Hague, you know, it's the International Criminal Court. And it was a fun rabbit hole to go down yesterday afternoon. And then I found out they also web stream their oh. cases. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I had the same reaction. Yeah. <gasps> you know, it's like, I can see hours in your future. <laughs> yes, right? It's just like, oh, you know, just beside myself here. Okay. So back to you. Back to you. Okay. <laughs> So the other thing I, I smiled at is I find short stories really hard, okay? And I'm thinking it's because I like to explore when I write. Um, I'm not a plotter. The more I write, the more of an organized pantser, I guess you could say. So why do you find short stories? <laughs> she rolls her eyes. <laughs> I, I I find them super challenging, way more challenging than than long fiction. But I think for me, the challenge is keeping the story lean. And that's yeah. because I tend to write books that have, you know, three or four, at least three or four main characters and many other characters that, that float around the periphery. And same with the scenes. I don't like it all to take place in one, one location. Yeah. So um, there'll be you know, the people's houses, maybe, or the places of work, or in, uh, in the bar, for example, in, in the latest books. But when you're writing a short story, you really have to tone that down. Yeah. One or two characters, maybe three, only one of them is the main character. Um, no BFF sidekicks, like they can't <laughs> share it, because it's, it's, you don't have enough space. Yeah. And then locations, only one or two locations maybe three and then and then the story has to fit and I find it really so I tend to write too much and then have to cut it out and then when after I've cut it out I worry that I've cut out bits that are critical to the story so it's a super big challenge for me but I I have written a few and, and what I've discovered is I can take uh, scenes from the books I've written just scenes and turn them into short stories by rewriting the scene to take out all of the extra stuff that is interesting in the big story but is not necessary to tell a smaller story so i could take that bar scene for example and turn that into a short story wow and and and, and i've done that so i've got um you know, for people who sign up to my uh, newsletter, they get a number of free short stories. Yeah. And there are a few original stories in there, but two of them are taken from the books because yeah. it was possible to turn them into short stories with a beginning, a middle, and an end. I'm having a light bulb moment. That is brilliant. Yeah. I wish yeah. I could say that was my idea, but actually somebody gave me that idea and I trying to remember who it was and it was a colleague of mine 
And it was a, del- it was a delicious tip. It was yeah. because for me, it's so hard to do, but already you've got short stories. You just don't know it. Well, I could, I could see it like that paragraph I read. Okay. I could see, oh, geez. Yeah. Okay. That's a brilliant. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for sharing that. Oh, you're welcome. I don't know if I'll still write short stories. Cause I like to, I'd like to go yeah. big. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I like the space. Yeah. Yeah. So do you find sometimes the heroine's journey will sometimes mimic your own journey through life? I'm noticing this now. With yeah. Me. There are bits. I mean, not the, not the whole arc of the yeah. journey, but bits and pieces of it definitely reflect points in, in my past and, and even physical traits, because those are so easy. If, if they are your own physical traits, it's easy to incorporate them in. Yeah. Um, so my hair, yeah, it's, you can't tell it. Most of it's in a ponytail. It's big, big curly hair. So that was the first character and no sense of direction, which was so fun because I struggle with that my whole life. So to put those little bits in makes the story come alive, but it's yeah. a little bit of me in there. And in, in this one, um, in Bloodmark and Ghostmark, Jane's annoying habit of being super neat that's one of my habits and it's annoying. So it was easy to, to write the reactions because I've seen the reactions to my super neatness from other people. So that was a bit of me yeah. written into it. And in terms of uh, the, me in the story and other ways uh, reflecting my life, um, I got to say the bar scene is, <laughs> is from my life. And that was because growing up in Toronto, one of the things all kids do, I'm sure not just me is like a rite of passage is that yeah. you, you sneak into bars and, and, or, and get drinks, you know, so in Toronto, um, you couldn't get into the nicer bars, because they were a little more careful about checking ideas, but you could get into the dives, the dive bars, no problem, they, they appreciated the extra clientele to come in and buy <laughs> drinks. So I've been in bars where fights have broken out. And I've been in bars where these Neanderthals are on the dance floor, or yeah. slinking through the tables looking for somebody to, to, you know, do you want to dance? Oh, I remember sitting there thinking, oh, please don't ask me. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. see some guy coming. So, you know, that certainly is, is <laughs> it's part of my, my, my sordid past in Toronto. Oh, well, I remember once I had, talking about bars, my sister and I would go to this place in Nanaimo called Magnetics. And I remember at one point, it was in the, at the bottom of the, the bottom of the coast hotel. And I remember one guy once said to me, you have nice teeth. And I just, I remember thinking, what am I a horse? (laughs) (laughs) You know, but I kept that and I were, I was able to work it in this, this, this current, current book, but what I'm noticing, and I actually mentioned it to my husband with book four, it's taking place in The Hague. And for me, I thought all these books were going to be written in Victoria, you know, lived there for 25 years, 23 years. I can't remember the exact number. But we moved, and the Victoria I write about isn't the Victoria I see now because a lot has happened in life, right, with mm-hmm. the last three years. And I had mentioned this to Ed and I said, yeah, I go, this is, it's weird how it's kind of mirroring what's going on in my life that the next book is going to be in The Hague. I said, to me, it's almost like a symbol 
that I've left Victoria, right? So anyways, 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 okay. Now, your website, it is packed with great information. I'm an indie author. Can you share with me what Book Shepherd is? Oh, absolutely. Um, Book Shepherd approached me and I didn't know a thing about them. So I went on their site and I looked um, and, and that's what I would encourage everyone to do is just go on. They've got a who are we section. Yeah. And uh, what, what, the, what they explain is that they are building a website that they hope someday will rival um, Goodreads. And, wow. and it's because they're looking for a new way to discover books. The, yeah. the way a lot of people right now discover books is they type into search engines like Best Paranormal Romance or uh, Best Fantasy Fiction or Books About Dinosaurs, that kind of thing. And so then what you get popped up on the screen is a, a list of what somebody thinks is the best paranormal romance or what the algorithm thinks are the books on dinosaurs. But for a lot of people, what they want to know is, I like Charlene Harris. I like Anne Charles. I like their writing. So if Anne Charles puts a list together of her favorite paranormal romances, I want to read those books because I I like her writing. I know she's a good writer. I want to read what she likes. So. That's the idea behind Book Shepherd is it's okay. authors picking a theme and recommending books in that theme that they think other readers would enjoy. So I've only done one list so far, and my list is Kick-Ass Heroines. Yeah. Best Urban Fantasy Series with Kick-Ass Heroines. So that's, that's my um, subject I chose, and I picked five books. And what you have to do with Book Shepherd is you have to write an original reason why you enjoyed the book so you can't just copy your review that you've done someplace else you have to write an original review and give it to them to use exclusively and that's the the price you pay for putting this this up there and then they will um uh, they also mention your book and this is your book and this is who you are and these are the books you're recommending so as the site grows there will be more of these lists i can put up as many lists as i want i if i happen to get an like i've got a, a number of thrillers that I really enjoy. Yeah. I could at some point put up a list of um, thrillers, the best thrillers in in my humble opinion or something like that. And that way, if people enjoy my writing, they might enjoy something that I recommend. I'm just people, thinking that right now. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So it, it's just a, a different way of discovering books. And I think it's a growing platform and it was fun to do. Okay. Uh, it, it's a thoughtful process. You know, you had to, to, to think up why you would recommend these books um, on a very personal level yeah. to other people. And, uh, and so, yeah, I, I think it's, it's worthwhile checking out. See, cause I like your writing. So if I w- were to see your list, let's say of thrillers, I'd be like, Oh, Oh, okay. Yeah. Just because of that recommendation, like just like what you said. Yeah. yeah. I like your writing. So if she likes this, then it must be good. Right. Oh, yeah. 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 It's- it's like getting a friend recommending a book to you, which is which is different than an algorithm, you yeah. know, based on, um, you, you know, maybe the, the most popular, which is yeah. not necessarily a book that you, that you would enjoy. But yeah, I, I think it's a worthwhile venture. That's why I participated. Okay. Okay. So I'm ending off with my fun question. I haven't been able to, I haven't asked this in a while. Now, thinking of your answers today. 
we could have the, you know, is that Abrax? Abraxas. Abraxas Cafe, or we can have a Toronto dive bar. I want you to, you pick. No, Abraxas. It has to be Abraxas. Okay, Abraxas. They've been a huge supporter of my book. So okay. Yes, Abraxas. So Jane Walker on her bike pulls up outside Abraxas Cafe. Let's say you walk out the door. What would she say to you? And what would be your response? Well, I live on an island, a small island, Demon. So the first thing she would probably say is, beautiful island, lovely trip, but man, did I have to wait a long time in that ferry lineup. So she's going to complain because that's what everyone does when they come over. And then she'll probably say, is this a good place to get a really good cup of tea? Because she doesn't drink coffee. And I would say, absolutely. And on the way in, you might want to take a look at the books on the shelf there, written by J.P. McLean. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. It's a bookstore and cafe, you see. Nice. Yes, oh, it I is. Love. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. So anything you'd like to add and what's next? Oh, what's next? I'll, I'll continue to write in the the Dark Dream series with the next book. It's been such fun, Joanne. I really thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Um, the new book is called Ghostmark. It comes out November 1st. And if your audience wants to learn more about me and my books, they can visit my website at jpmcclainauthor.com. And it's a great website. Like I said, I learned learned a lot. You know, um, all the indie authors out there, trad, trad, traditionally published authors, there's a lot, lot on there. So, well, thank you. And... They are quiet. They've fallen asleep. <laughs> okay, the dogs. Okay, Jane, have JP, have a good day. You too. Thanks so okay. much.